Again, uh, we've been using this little line going across here. Uh, we've talked about the cross, how we are in this, what we call the church age. Those of you that have been here on Wednesday night, do you remember this? Say yes. Sometime along this, this road, and we're going to talk about starting tonight, we're going to talk about this happening. There's going to be a time period that we enter into that is going to be seven years in duration. And many people call it the time of tribulation. We'll, we'll talk about this in just a moment. And there are going to be some things that will happen during this time period that are significant and important that we understand. Because if we don't understand this time period, you will not understand why I have landed where I have as to where the actual rapture or the catching away of God's people takes place. We need to understand a little bit of what takes place in this seven-year time period. And now there are other things that go on after that time period, and we will eventually get there and talk about that as well. But I want to just say for the moment, this is where we're going to deal with this seven-year time period. I will get to the moment as to when we move in and how we move in and when God's people uh, are finally taken out of here but just bear with me because I just want to lay some foundation. That's what I've been doing. I've been just laying some foundation in you so that you can begin to see it in God's word. You may not agree with everything I say because, as we taught earlier, there are lots of good, solid, scriptural Christian people who will come up with a little bit different perspective. And that's okay. Um, and so the only way I can teach you is where I've landed. And so I'll teach that to you. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine. I hope it challenges you, though, to go back and find out why you've landed where you've landed. And, and so whether you buy into it or whether you don't, the bottom line is you need to get your nose in God's word and find out why you think why you think. All right? And if I can at least make you do that, then, then I've succeeded at something. Amen. So the scripture is clear. There's going to be this catching away of the saints just prior to a great outpouring of the wrath of God. Now, we're going to talk about tribulation and wrath, and we're going to distinguish some things, but if we can begin to understand when God pours out his wrath, we'll, we'll, we can begin to understand when you and I won't be here. Because we are not appointed, the Bible says, to the wrath of God. So I, I've titled the lesson tonight with this. Tribulation, yes. Wrath, no. All right, now you're going to understand the title a lot more clearly as I move through this. All right, tribulation, yes, wrath, no. Some of the reason there's confusion over the placement of the rapture is because there is confusion over exactly what we get to escape. What do we get to escape? What, 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 what are we avoiding? What, 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 are we, what are we going to be out of here for? Now, the Bible speaks of several adversities that are going to take place in the last days. Now, you, you need to understand that, that Paul said, remember, Paul wrote some of his writings in about A.D. 60, and, and he talked about last days. How many of you know if he felt like it was last days in A.D. 60, it's probably the last, last days now, all right? So, so when we talk about last days, we're really talking about the time period we're in, even as we're moving into these other time periods that we'll be talking about. And the Bible speaks of several adversities that are going to take place in the last days. And you'll hear words like tribulation, a great tribulation, the wrath of God. Um, some of you that are interested in this area, or maybe you've heard people talk about it, you've heard of Daniel's 70th week. Uh, there's a phrase that's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Jesus and Paul would later pick up on this understanding. He would talk about labor pains 
and the beginning of sorrows. Now, all of these words or all of these phrases are speaking of adversities that will take place in the last time. Now, let me just share this with you. Whether or not adversity comes by your own hand or whether adversity comes by the hand of the enemy or whether God pours out his wrath, let me just say this to you. The purpose of all of this is not just to slap the fire out of you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if we don't respond to him out of his goodness, guess what? There's more in his arsenal. And he loves you too much to let you go. And so he's going to try to win you by his goodness. It's the goodness of God. We want to bring you to repentance and to a knowledge of him. But if you don't want to receive his goodness, I, I will assure you, adversity can turn you. And so as we move through all of this uh, concept of adversity under these different phrases, need to, you need to understand God's just not mad, but he's trying to bring people to repentance, to turn to him. Now, the scripture tells us several things. Now, you need to write these down. If you want to look them up with me, that's great. You may not be able to keep up, but get your pencil out because there's going to come a day you're going to be at work, you're going to be in a discussion, y'all going to have your Bibles there, you're going to get into some talk, and I'm giving you where you get to go, okay? Write it down. How many of you know a short pencil is better than a long memory? The scripture tells us that as believers, listen to me, as believers... We are not immune to tribulation. Now I'm going to read that to you. 16, John 16, it says, Jesus said it. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me, now if you're not in him, this isn't going to happen. He said, but in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen. Acts 14, 22. I'm going to do this real quick. 14, 22. It says here that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Turn to Romans. Now, I, I realize I could probably read two or three of these and you would believe me. Um, but I'm just going to read this uh, because I just think we need to hear some scripture. Romans 5, verse 3. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Amen. Chapter 12 of Romans. Hang on, I'm just about done. Romans 12, 12. It says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. He's talking to the saints now. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 1.4 talks about in our tribulations, he brings comfort. And finally, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and we'll stop here just from making my point. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 4, it says, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So all of this tells us that as believers, we're going to face some tribulation. All right? I, you know... I, you know, I don't have to go to the Greek to tell you what tribulation is. How many of you know and understand tribulation, all right? We don't have, the, we don't have to have that Greek. Tribulation is adversity. It's pressure. It's trouble. It's anguish. Those things are tribulation. But the Bible tells us some other things that we will be spared from. The Bible tells us that we are going to be spared from wrath. Wrath. Now, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this. 
that we were to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, now he said, now listen, we're going to face tribulation, but he said, I'll deliver you from wrath. All right, now keep that in mind. Stay in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. It says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there we find it one more time. There's a verse in both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, and I'm going to read the one out of Colossians because they both say exactly the same thing. Ephesians 5, 6 or Colossians 3, 6. It says these words. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. I mean, you know, it pays to obey. The sons of disobedience, it says, that the wrath of God will come to. So we, as obedient children, are going to be spared from God's wrath. Now, let me just illustrate a couple things to you on our chart here that's um, going to help you begin to visualize some of the things I'm going to talk about. And I wrote down, my notes are so small, and I want to make sure I get all, because I have such wonderful, nice little diagrams on my notes here. I mean, I wish I could just, but it doesn't work that way. All right. As we move along the church age, there is going to be increasing darkness. There'll be increasing darkness. Jesus and both Paul called this labor pain. There's, there's going to be these labor pains or increasing darkness as we begin to move toward this seven-year time period, all right? Increasing tribulation, increasing difficulty. If we think it's going to get easier somehow, I'm just going to tell you, I hate to, I hate to tell you, it's not going to get any easier. Darkness is going to get darker. If you don't believe that, go read Isaiah chapter 60. It says in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, Yea, and even though darkness covers the face of the earth, yea, even gross darkness gross darkness how many of you know it's gross there's some gross things that are going on now the good news is this he says you will arise and shine and you will be a light that kings and princes will come to the brightness of your rising i actually preach out of that passage that that's the revival that will happen in last days that as increasing darkness sweeps the land there's actually going to be a light that will draw people that uh, are finally fed up, sick, so needy, they have to come to the house of God. But uh, nonetheless, so there's this increasing darkness, increasing tribulation. There are two, there are two halves to this seven-year period. There's a three-and-a-half-year time period and another three-and-a-half-year time period. A lot of people believe, and I have no, no problem with this, that, that, that they, will, they will define this as the tribulation period... And others will call the second three and a half the great tribulation period. Tribulation and great tribulation. That is what happens in half and half. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But I'm going to begin to show you that within this three and a half time, year, uh, time period, we're going to find that the Bible tells us. Now, I know that, that, that this is going to probably run counter to some things that we hear taught, and there's... A lot of books written and people that, you know, probably know a lot more than I do. But I go back to the book. And when I read the book, I can begin to show you that in this three and a half year time period is where I'll show you, we begin to see the word wrath show up. 
And God begins to pour out wrath in this particular time frame. Now, you're going to say, well, I want the scripture, and, I, and you're going to get it here in just a minute. But I want to give you a picture so you can begin to understand uh, exactly what's going on here. In fact, uh, we will talk about next week, just to let you know, we're going to talk about the Antichrist, and we're going to talk about how if we can, if we can pinpoint when he's revealed, it'll, it'll help us again understand where we get caught out of here. But we're going to begin to find out that in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, and that's Daniel chapter 9, if you want to read about the middle of his 70th week, he says that this Antichrist, or this little horn, begins to have great, great influence. So we will talk about that as well. But I wanted you to get that in your picture. Seven years, three and a half each. Now before I get here, let's go back to here and let's talk about labor pains. And I think I put that on the screen overhead. Labor pains. The Bible tells us that the increasing darkness that we are living in right now and that will occur before we are caught away by the Lord is called labor pains or the beginning of sorrows. Labor pains or the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read these again. They are very familiar verses. 24, 3 through 8. He sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. He says, verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now listen, here are signs. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Let me just stop here and say, I'm going to make some comments on some verses, because I don't have time just to make it nice and outliney. I mean, if somebody bebopped it up to you and said, hey, I'm Jesus. I mean, most of us are bright enough, and most people even out in the world are bright enough to say, you know, your, your, your elevator hadn't gone quite to the top, probably. I mean, there's a couple bricks short in that load. I, because, you know, we're, just, we, we're, not that, we're not that dumb. But you need to understand that Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. Simply, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Many will come in that day saying, I got, I, I got it. I got the anointing. I got the word. We, we're the deal. We're, we're, we're it. We are it. All right? So, so make sure you hear what's being said here. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. This is it. This is where God's talking. This is where he move, he's moving and will deceive many. He says, you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. Obviously, that's easy to apply to our modern day. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So he says there's going to be geographical wars that will take place. Obviously, we're seeing that happen. But he says there's going to be spiritual confrontations that are going to take place. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There'll be spiritual conflict, like the likes of which we've never seen. I honestly believe there are going to be Elijah conflicts. I believe before this thing wraps up, I'm really prophesying to you now, that on network television, we're going we're to see on network television power encounters. I, I mean, I watch these guys deal with familiar spirits talking with the dead. And, and, and they make millions, gazillions of dollars being able to channel their familiar spirits, making people think they're talking to long-lost dead loved ones, and they make a gazillion dollars. And I believe there's coming a day when we're going to see power encounters where the true power of God is going to manifest, and nationally it's going to be seen, just like in Elijah's day. I believe that. It says there's going to be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these, verse 8, listen, all these are the beginning 
of sorrows. Literally in the Greek you could translate that. All these are labor pains. How many of you know, ladies, when you start to begin to feel labor, that's the beginning of sorrows. For those of you that have ever had children, you know exactly. And of course, no men know what we're talking about right now. But ladies know all too well what we're talking about. The beginning of sorrows. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon, comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, woman and they shall not escape. So, so labor pains. Now let's talk about labor pains. Now I'm going I'm to give you just kind of an, an interesting analogy after I go through some scripture here. But let, let, let's talk about what is escalating in this day we're living in. There are certain things that are escalating that are showing us that we're moving to this time period. I, I gave you a list, I think, up there of ten things. So guys, if you're ready, flash the first one. There, there are some things that are escalating, the Bible says, in these last days. The first one, he says, are scoffers. He says, in last days there will be those that will scoff and say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is all this stuff you've been talking about? I mean, you've been, you've been talking about this. Where is, it, where is it headed? Where is it going? And he says that that is going to increase scoffers. Uh, are going to be there, and he says this will increase. So how many of you know, if you think you've got one at work that causes you a problem, you may get a few more before it's over with. Scoffers. Secondly, and, and again, write these passages down, and you can look them up, and some of them I'll read to you, and some of them I, uh, I'll just let you look up on your own. Apostasy. Apostasia is how it is spoken in the original language, apostasia. Apostasy actually is a falling away. Let me read to you a couple things. I might take just a moment in 2 Timothy to read this one because uh, some folks, uh, they get interested in this one. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away, opposed to see ya. They'll turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now he uses the same term if you go back to his earlier letter, 1 Timothy 4.2. He uses the same word here. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. <laughs> okay, apostasy, you can't apostatize from something you weren't in. I'll say that again. You cannot apostatize from something you weren't in. They apostatize from the faith. He's talking to Timothy. He's talking to his church there at Ephesus. He says it's going to happen. They'll give heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. They'll speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they practiced whatever that deception was. They practiced it so much that what has happened is that they are no longer capable of feeling the grieving that's taking place with the Holy Spirit, but they practice to the point they've seared their consciences off, and it doesn't really matter what you say. And they've departed. They've departed from the faith. He says this is going to happen more and more and more. Apostasia. Number three, he says false teachers will arise. And again, they'll, they'll be greedy, he says, and, and, and uh, they'll be out for themselves, false teachers. I've already read to you 1 Timothy 4, 1, number 4. He says that spiritualism is going to happen. There's, there's going to be an upsurge in 
supernatural, occultic activity. You know, I've lived long enough. One of the nice things about getting old is, is that you live long enough, you get some perspective. And I can remember, I can remember when I first was a Christian in the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, if you talk publicly about anything spiritual, people look at you like you'd lost your, you know, your marbles. They'd look at you, even the world, the world would look at you and they'd say, you've lost your marbles. Because it seemed that that time period, we were pretty rationalistic and pretty logical. I can remember Phil Donahue. You get on the Phil Donahue show and if he'd have some preacher or somebody and they mentioned anything about Christianity or the faith, I mean, he was just, he was on that, man. I mean, he was going to do his best to somehow undermine that through his, through his whiz-bang logic. Well, well, this is what's interesting. You go through the 80s and you get into the 90s and now all of a sudden, you know, remember we had 1-900-psychics? You know, dial 1-900 and I'll take your money. I mean, that's what that is. For $5.95, you can throw your money away. And then all of a sudden, we got guys that work with familiar spirits telling these people that they're working with their dead loved ones. And now all of a sudden, you got people, you got baseball players who are putting uh, uh, pyramids over their bats, hoping to raise their batting average. They're rubbing crystals. Um, you know, they go see L. Ron Hubbard and do their Scientology thing. I mean, we have Hollywood stars that sat down on Entertainment Tonight or MSNBC or whatever it is, and they'll start talking about all their stuff that they're in, and everybody in the world goes, whoa, whoa, they're spiritual. They're deceived. All right. But he says that's going to increase. There'll be, there'll be a surge of this stuff in the end times. Number five, it's interesting. Timothy goes on to say, he says, last times... He said, I'm going to clue you in. They're going to be perilous, or the actual Greek word is exceedingly fierce. Exceedingly fierce. Now listen to this. He says, know this, in last days perilous times will come. Now, now, now tell me if this is not true. Just listen. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. And is that not the day we're living in? I mean, I mean, I mean, we watch gruesome beheadings, and there are people who think that they're just misunder that, that that those evil people are just misunderstood souls. And and we go out. And share the gospel with people on how to be set free from their sin. And somehow we're the ones that are causing the problem. All right. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, you see, God's always there, isn't he? So I'm just going to go out and do what I want to do. So why be in the house of God? Why be in the things of God? Because I just love pleasure more than I love. Oh, it's not that, I mean, God knows my heart. Well, if it's in your heart, then let it be demonstrated. See, love isn't just what you feel. Love is demonstration. It's, that's why John said, he said, if you say you love God, but do not do what he says, the truth is not in you, and you are a liar. Now, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. Don't be offended with me. That was John. John, about AD 80, said that, okay? And then in verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, he says, turn away. Turn away. Don't get sucked, in. Don't get sucked into powerless Religion. Don't get sucked into a, a, a church experience. Don't get sucked into the gospel that preaches nice things, but it doesn't call you to transformation. 
because that's powerless. Anything that doesn't call you to be changed into something new, different, and supernaturally different, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. All right. We'll, we'll keep going. It says, number six, that they will heap treasures upon themselves. This is all taking place during labor pains. We're not into this stuff yet. This is just labor pains. They will heap treasure upon themselves. In other words, how much is enough? I'll never forget, J.D. Rockefeller, they asked him one time, they said, how much is enough? Because he had a billion dollars back when, you know, a billion dollars was a gazillion. They said, how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little more. Well, how much is enough? They heap treasures upon themselves. Number seven, it says there will be a Laodicean atmosphere. In the book of the Revelation, the last church in Revelation 3, verse 14, is the church at Laodicea, which most people believe that gives us sort of a, an overview as to what it will look like in the end times. And he says several things that are interesting. He says this. He says, you are rich, yet you are poor. How can you be rich, yet poor? Can we say that, that we understand how that can be? You can have all sorts of things and stuff and treasure and all the rest, and everything about your life is falling apart. You're rich, but you are poor, it says. He says, you see, yet you are blind. How many of you know that you can see what's going on, but you don't see the, the real thing? And then he says, and this is also interesting, he says, you're clothed, yet you are naked. I always found that to be an interesting phrase. Because you know what I think? I think everybody's clothed, but they don't have any covering. Well, we'll let that one go. Number eight. Jesus said in the end times there'll be the blossoming of the fig tree. I don't have a lot of time to deal with the fig tree except to tell you that I believe that's the imagery of the end time revival that will begin to take place. He says that the fig tree will begin to bloom and to blossom and to spring forth and it will bear fruit. Isaiah 60 said a light would shine in the middle of the darkness and that revival would begin to come. In the book of Joel, it says that in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. I'm talking to you guys. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, I'm going to speak lovingly to you, but I don't know. Are you ready to prophesy? I don't know that some are ready to sit in church all the time. I love you, but, but God has a plan for you. And he wants to work in you. So you need to be ready because you know what, young people? Just because you're young, you aren't exempt. Just because you're 13, 14, 16, 18, it doesn't mean God suddenly says, oh, I didn't understand. They're teenagers. Oh, excuse me, I forgot. You're all teenagers. All your teenagers. None of this applies to you. Just go to sleep. You just forget about it. Eh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. Because the moment you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ and you understood that you were a sinner and that you needed redemption and that he was the only way to heaven, at that moment, you became culpable. And at that moment, you need to be aware that as we move into this time period and you go to school and they do all that they do at school and they, they deal with their Ouija boards and they, you know, they venerate Brittany and they do all this stuff, I'm just here to tell you, you are not exempt. All right. All right. I'll let mom and dad get you later. Number nine, there'll be national distress. Nations will just, they're, they're going to be distressed. They won't know what to do. I mean, they'll just wring their hands. What do we do? What do we do? How can we, how can we deal with the, all of this? And then finally, number ten, 
He says, as it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah. When they watched Noah and, and the righteous ones build their ark and do what they needed to do, it said that they, they drank and they made merry and they made fun of them until finally the day the rains came and the flood came. All of these, all of this are labor pains, the Bible says. Now, now, let me give you some signs of labor, and let me just show you a couple things that I, I just thought about when I thought about labor. Flip over to the next slide, guys. The concept of labor. Number one, there's true and false labor. A lot of, you know, ladies, you know that some labor is, is the real deal, and some is that Braxton Hicks stuff, and, and it doesn't produce anything. And, and a concept of labor means that something is being birthed. And so we're going to have a lot of things that will happen that you'll say to yourself, is that, is that a sign? Is that not a sign? And so there's going to be true, and there's going to be false labor. Both will feel similar, but they don't necessarily produce the same results. So don't be fooled. In this age, you'll see things that probably are related to the end times and some things that aren't. Number two, labor is on and off with periods of rest. In other words, there can be excruciating times of tribulation, and then there's rest periods. And then there's excruciating periods, and then there's rest periods. Go to number three. Labor increases with intensity the closer you get to birth. Those rest periods are going to be shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Until finally, number four, something new is released out of that pain. Now, let me just say there's several things that I think we could talk about here, but th this is the hopeful thing uh, that I want to give you before I get to the seven-year period, and I'm going to have to run. In Romans chapter 8, you'll want to mark this, because this is just another verse that I use signifying the end-time revival or the end-time harvest that will take place at the same exact time these tribulation things are taking place. Romans 8, verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons, i.e., or the daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. I believe that the earth, creation, the world system is groaning, travailing, laboring for something. And I'll tell you, the Bible says what they don't even know what they're laboring for, but they are laboring for the, the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. There is a world that's waiting to see us. I, I believe this with all my heart, that God will not judge this generation until he raises up a generation that becomes the standard by which they can be judged. Because they will never be able to say, I didn't know. That's a cool message, but I'll just leave it alone there. Let's go to seven years. All right, how much time? Will you stick with me if I go a couple minutes over? Seven year. Seven year time period. We mentioned there, there are two three and a half year deals. Now the first three and a half years, this period right here, the first three and a half will be somewhat paradoxical. Now what do I mean by that? I mean there are going to be some features of this time period that are going to look very peaceful, very good, and actually hopeful. But there's going to be this, this tension that will exist. Because from out of this, a man will begin to arise that you and I will come to know as the Antichrist. And this Antichrist, this person, and we're going to talk about him more next week, will come to prominence and power 
by presenting solutions to what the world is facing by way of problems and tribulation. So let me, I'll just give you a, a little a preview. They're, they're, they're fussing with economics. Oh, well, let's have a one-world economic system. Religions aren't getting along. Wow, well, if we just found out what everybody agreed on, we'll just all agree together, and we'll agree maybe to disagree, and we'll just have a one-world religion. Um, uh, well, you know what? We, we need a new world order. The world is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, so there's going to be a one-world government. And he will begin to do this. Now, it seems unlikely at this time, and I would agree, but it's interesting how, how things can change so quickly. And it's also interesting to me how a lot of these things are already beginning to move in this direction. How many of you know that right now, ten nations, just like Daniel prophesied, have moved together in Eastern Europe, and they have the same economic system. It is called the euro dollar. Now, I'm telling you, I never thought I'd see that. But right now, as far as a one-world economic system coming out of that ten-headed beast in Daniel, it is already happening. It's called the euro dollar. And some of you will probably take a trip to Europe, and you'll get you a euro dollar. I'd save that thing. That's going to be historic. But the other thing about the Antichrist that will be fascinating is remember what his name is. His name is anti Christ, and what, is, what does Christ mean? Anointed one. He's not only going to come with, with unbelievable answers to problems, he's going to have an anointing on his life. But it's going to be a false anointing to bring what appears to be stability in chaotic times. 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away opposed to see it comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now he's talking about the Antichrist. Now listen, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know that, is that, that what is restraining, that he may, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming, listen now, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. Now, we'll get to this in the book of the Revelation, I will show you in the book of the Revelation that there will... That, that, now, just hear me. You're, you're not going to be fooled. I mean, there's the, tr the truth is going to be in you. But he is going to set it up to where it's going to look as if it's a false... Even a false Pentecost will show up. It's fascinating. And, and, and we'll begin to look at that. So, who is the restrainer? Well, some believe the Holy Spirit. It could well be. I put down here, it could be God and his sovereignty... We're going to talk about this a little bit next week. And number three, some people believe the church. 
is the restrainer as well. And when the church is taken out of here. So those are three possibilities. Any of them may well be it. But the second three and a half period, uh, I put that there because lots of times people ask this. second three and a half period is where things really begin to cook. This is, this is when it starts really getting bad. Now, watch here. The Antichrist, at this point, begins, however he begins, to have greater and greater visibility, power, influence, until finally, when we hit this mid-year point, he will have brought a peace treaty to Israel, cut a covenant with them. He'll go back on his word. The Bible says that he'll be mortally wounded. There, I'm just kind of jumping quickly here and there. He'll be mortally wounded, but he will rise again from the dead. And it will be at this moment that the Antichrist, in all his evil fury, will begin to take off. Up to this point, who knows? He, he may be looked at just as another good politician, a leader. I don't know. But at, at this midway point, the Bible tells us that all of a sudden, things start cooking. And, and his absolute evil plans begin to take place. Now, before I go, I just want to show you. Turn to the Revelation. I'm ending right now. Turn to, turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. Now, again, you need to write this down. I'm coming back to it next week. I'm coming back to it next week, so if you say to yourself, man, this went fast, I'm going to review some things, and I've got to come back to some of this next week because I'm going to talk about Antichrist, and I'm going to talk about rapture next week. When you begin in Revelation chapter 6 and you go through Revelation 16, there are three sets of seven judgments. Three sets of seven judgments. The first set are seven seals that are, that are opened. And these seals, some of these seals, uh, you can see there's, there's uh, famine, there's conflict, there's widespread death, there's the cry of the martyrs, some disturbances. Out of the seventh seal, as you go through this, out of the seventh seal, what happens is angels are released, and those angels begin to blow trumpets. So that's the second seven set. Trumpets are blown. And they're blowing many different things. Again, you can go through here real quick, and uh, vegetation is dried up, seas are struck, waters, locusts, um, um, the Euphrates is dried up. And uh, then we get to the seventh trumpet. And when we get to the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, it says in uh, Revelation 11, verse 18. Now listen to this. It says, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Now, this is going to be real important. Because, you see, if wrath has come, then from this point forward, we, we, we aren't going to be around. Now, now, the reason I don't think we're going to be around, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go through all this very carefully next time, is because there was a trumpet that sounded. It says the time of the dead that they should be judged. It says there in verse 18 that he's going to reward the servants and the prophets and the saints. Sounds to me like a lot of things that might have happened when you're raptured because we receive our rewards. Remember I told you that? I told you that the dead would be raised. I mean, we're going to go through this carefully. I'm going to go through chapter 6 through 16 carefully and begin to show you some of these things. But wrath is poured out. And I can tell you that, that wrath shows up somewhere 
right in here. That's when wrath is showing up. Now, um, next week, again, we're going to talk about this. And uh, I don't want to leave you in confusion, but you can go read it. Just, just, you can locate wrath passages and you can begin to read it. And uh, I'm going to answer a lot of these questions about at what point then, you say, Pastor, do we get out here or do we get out here or what's the deal? And I'm going to answer that question next week. But let me just share the last three things and then I'm done. I'm over. Promise. But these are things. How do, you, how do I leave you? On a night like tonight, how do you leave somebody? Number one, what does it mean to me practically? Number one, we are being groomed as a culture for the arrival of the Antichrist. First John, I believe it is, doesn't it say? First John 4, 4, 4, 3, it says that the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world even now. I'm telling you, we are being groomed for it. It is, it is grooming this world for a deception the likes of which they have never seen, and they are clueless as to what's about ready to take place. And the only thing that will break that deception is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll just say it again. I mean, Buddha ain't going to do it. Allah ain't going to do it. Muhammad ain't going to do it. You, you know, your Hindu cow isn't going to do it. I'm not being ma mean. I'm just telling you that that won't break the deception that's coming. Jesus is the only one. All right, number two. We must desire sound doctrine. It says the time will come. Did you hear me read that? That they will not endure sound doctrine. No, don't, I don't want to know sound doctrine. I want to know the ten easy steps to, you know, to making a billion dollars. If, you, if, you'll, if you'll keep telling me how to just prosper and how I can be influential and be at my business and, and I can be somebody and get my face on the front cover of time and as long as you keep telling me this stuff, I am with you. They gather unto themselves teachers because they have itching ears. And they will not endure sound doctrine. We have got to, I'm just finding in my heart, and I know it's birth of God. It's not, a, it's not even a personal desire. It's just birth of God. He's saying to me, teach people doctrine again. Teach people the truth. The truth. Not what they just want to hear, but teach them what they need to hear. Sound doctrine. And sound doctrine isn't perfect doctrine. Sound doctrine isn't even pure doctrine because none of us have that sound doctrine is healthy doctrine what is healthy what is healthy okay so we're, we we need to just be prepared we we got to be in health we got to eat you know you can't eat you can't eat snickers all day long and think you aren't going to look like one after about a month of that right you got to get the whole diet you got to get all of the good stuff in in order that you can be healthy i we can't just preach prosperity and be healthy. I believe in prosperity, but we just can't preach that and be healthy. We just can't, we just can't preach one, one thing, and that's all we talk about. I, I mean it. I, God loves us, and, and the love of God is preeminent. But you can preach the love of God until people snooze and believe that his love masks everything they do. And that's not true. That's why I said, it's, you know, if, if you say you love God and do not do what he says, the truth's not in you. That's in there, too. Number three, and we must be trained to endure. Now, this is going to be real important because we're going to talk about it next week. The Bible says, the Bible, I read it to you tonight, that there will be those that fall away. I'm not, it's not my, it's, well, that's your doctrine. No, it's not. It's my Bible. They will fall away from the faith. Now, you can work with it however you want to, and, and you're a priest unto God yourself, so you go for it. I just read it like I read it. 
we've got to learn to endure. It says that he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know what I'm finding out about Christianity? Christianity isn't about the first walk down to the altar to sign the card. Christianity is about walking away from that altar, starting the race, and finishing it. I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Well done, good and faithful servant. Ah, amen. I want you to be finishers. I'm glad you got started, but the key isn't starting. The key's finishing. Be a finisher. Amen. All right, stand with me, will you? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hey, every head bowed right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Last, uh, last time we were taught on this, I did it. I'm going to do it again tonight. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you, would you please come and begin to move and do now what no human being can do. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you reach in where no man can reach in. Nobody can get there but you. And would you begin to touch hearts right now. I pray for each section. I pray over here to my right and here in the middle, Lord, and over here to my far left. Lord, I pray every section right now, Spirit of God, would you do the work that you've been assigned to do and work in our hearts right now. Lord, I pray first that for those, Lord, that are, that are living for you, that love you and want to be around you, and Lord, I know it's Wednesday night, and that's probably the vast majority, maybe everybody, Lord, I don't know. But Lord, I pray first for those that love you all out, Lord, that you give them assurance right now. That you'd release your witness. That your spirit would bear witness with their spirit. That they're children of God. Give them assurance, Lord. Your word says that, that we don't have to fear and we don't have to be discouraged. But that we can know. We can know. So, Lord, let your assurance come right now and encourage your people. That these things must be, but that you shall come. So let that be so. But, Lord, I pray tonight that if there be one... Maybe they've slipped away. Maybe they just know it. No one else may know it but them. Maybe they've never made a decision for you. But Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of God, would you cause them, draw them to yourself. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're needing to get your life back where it needs to be, or if you've never made a decision for Jesus, I tell you what, I never thought on a Wednesday night I'd be giving altar calls, but I just decided maybe that's what God says. Just do it. If you're needing right now, and we're not embarrassed you. God won't embarrass you. I'm not going to do it. But I want you to lift your hand right now to the Lord and say, I, 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 wanna, I want my life right right now. Lift, lift your hand up. And just keep them up for a moment. Just for a moment. Just for a moment. Just for a moment. Put your hands down. Thank you. There were ten people tonight that lifted their hand to the Lord. All right, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. I want everybody to join with me. And, and I know I'm leading you, but as long as you sincerely link your faith up to what we're about to pray, God will come, and he will give you assurance. And I encourage you, open up your heart to him, and we're all going to pray right now together. So would you with me say, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, Lord, in humility. I acknowledge my sins. I am a sinner, and I have failed. But you are a redeemer. And you're reaching to me. And I appreciate that. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. 
And right now, I turn from my path to walk in your path. I confess my sin. And you are faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I tell you tonight, I am yours. I'm walking with you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my Master. You're calling the shots. My life's in your hands. I'm ready to obey you. Give me assurance. Witness to me now that I'm your child. I mean it, Lord. I really mean it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. Praise God. All right. Next Wednesday, we're going to pick it up again right there. And uh, Sunday, we're going to have a great day Sunday. So love each other. Encourage one another. And uh, God bless you. You're released.